0: Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. Hey, Peter.
1: It is hot, hot, hot in the Southern California desert, right, Lori? Oh, it's going to be like 118 today. Oh, great. Just another 118 a day. <laughs> talk about having to modify your lifestyle to keep the people and the animals happy and healthy.
0: Really? Now, here are some summertime pet tips, and some of these are from the NHV Natural Pet Products, makers of veterinarian-approved and formulated plant-based natural supplements from organically grown and wild-crafted herbs. Mm-hmm. Hydrate well. Okay, we all know that. You need to be hydrated well during the heat, and so do your animals. So ensure that your pets have access to water at all times. Try to keep fresh water and cool if possible. You know, put ice cubes in the water. Some some dogs love that. One of our dogs that didn't do well
1: spit up. It upset Paco's stomach to have mm-hmm. the, the water too cool. You know, I, I've always wondered something, and I don't know if you have an answer to this, but if dogs have a good sense of when they need to drink like is their thirst mechanism really attuned to what they really need you know a lot of people they don't think to drink and you know when it's so hot there you really got to stay ahead of it you know and you don't realize your thirst doesn't tell you and then you get tired and dehydrated but i wonder if dogs are like that i don't know keeping ice cubes in the water or
0: keeping the water a little cooler and in the shade so it's more desirable for them to drink, having it available, put multiple bowls out there for them. Putting a little chicken broth or adding pieces of a favorite fruit to one of the bowls to encourage drinking is sometimes beneficial.
1: Yeah, I bet a little taste of chicken broth in the water would go a long way. Like just a little flavor would be enough. You know, Cosmo just had his second little knee surgery done. Poor and, thing, I know. And he was not really interested in his water till we put some chicken broth in there, low-sodium chicken broth, and he drank that.
0: And on that same note, if you travel with your pet during the heat, or if you travel with your pet at all, I mean, always carry a compact, portable pet water bowl and some water.
1: Yep, we do that. Yeah, we our dogs a, get very thirsty when traveling. We have a couple of bowls in the minivan.
0: Talk about traveling. Don't leave your pets in your car. I mean, how many times do we have to say that? Mm -hmm. Even if it's just for a couple of minutes, even if if it's parked in the shade, and even if the windows are cracked. Temperatures elevate quickly in vehicles, and it only takes minutes to cause irreversible organ damage or worse, like death.
1: You know, I saw online people are now getting more attuned to their legal rights to break into a hot car if they see the dog. And one little trick that someone recommended was to just take a photograph or document what the temperature is outside uh, before you break the window so you at least have a piece of evidence. Oh, good idea. So it wasn't like 50 degrees and you felt like breaking it. Ticks and fleas can be more prevalent in the summertime months. Yeah. Ticks and Lyme disease that they can carry.
0: Right. So talk to your vet about what you might want to do to stay out of trouble. Right. and.
1: You need to know what a tick looks like and exactly. if you see one and you get it off or you, it's fallen off and you got to save it and show it to your vet so, so he or she believes you.
0: Good point. Okay, know the signs of heat stroke, excess panting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Rapid breathing, panting, mm-hmm. reddish tongue, lethargy, vomiting, diarrhea, fatigue or depression, muscle tremor, staggering. Depression.
1: Stuttering. Depression. Yeah,
0: oh, So
1: I have heat stroke. Excess
0: salivation. I really have heat stroke. (laughs) Okay, and thickened saliva. All these can be signs of heat stroke. So if you notice any of these signs in your pets, get him or her to a cool shaded area immediately. Wrap your dog in a cold, wet towel, especially the underarm, belly, groin areas. A fan may be used on the dog during the cooling process and bring your dog to the vet immediately. Heat stroke can be deadly. Oh, one more thing I want to add to this, Peter. You know, people think, okay, they can cool their dogs down enough and not have to take their dog to the vet and avoid some vet charges. But I'll tell you, you can't cool your dog too rapidly. You will cause shock in the dog, so Mm -hmm. you can't do that. Allow access to cool water, but don't force your dog to drink. So keep your dog cool with the wet towels and bring the dog into the vet.
1: Yeah. You know, when our power went out, due to the planned outage of our beloved local electricity when it was 110 degrees outside yes we also wanted to cool down one of our dogs our older susie but we had no power so i couldn't i didn't have a fan we did have ice which we could have used didn't need that we had cool water so we just used that in a towel but it would have been great to have like a little battery powered fan you know i would have liked one of those and it also reminded me i did some further research about these battery and hand crank generated radios. You know, we live in a terrible cell zone and Wi-Fi is not working. I was really isolated. I would have liked a little radio. In fact, we need to get our emergency pack for people and animals really updated. Oh, we definitely have to do that soon. Yeah, put that on the list.
0: I will put that on your list right away. (laughs) And here's some cooling off aids, right? If possible, get a
1: kiddie pool or the sprinklers, right? We had a kiddie pool once. We tried to get Paco into it, I think. He didn't like it. And then it just disintegrated in the hot sun. Yeah. But they're good for one season max, so. We put in a little mister
0: system that keeps the dogs cool. But, you know, we Peter and I tend not to leave our dogs out when it's too hot out. So we just bring them in. Right. Now, going back to the idea of putting a cool, wet towel under your dog's body, I mean, this tends to be more comfortable for him or her than their warm bedding or the hot floor.
1: Yeah, our dogs like the cool tile floor we have, ceramic tile and but that's a nice idea. Just put a little damp towel down there and let's see if they go right on it. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that right now.
0: Wait, where are you going? I'm not done. <laughs> When the humidity is high, it can cause a pet's temperature to rise because they become unable to cool themselves. Body temperatures can rise very quickly and become dangerous, as we spoke about. So be sure to keep your pet indoors and out of the hot sun. That's the bottom line here.
1: You know, just, I can't believe that our electric company did what they did to us. It just just going through this makes me so much more angry at them. But they wait nine months to do this planned outage. Yes. And then shut it. It's just like routine maintenance. Right. Oh, it's so disrespectful.
0: Now, cats and dogs love to bask in the sun, but too much time in the sun can cause heat stroke and even increase the risk of developing skin cancers. And your dogs sometimes don't know what's too much. Right, Peter?
1: Yeah. Yep. One of our dogs would stay there much longer than, than would be good for her. Plus, she does have a very fine coat great point peter
0: because pets can get sunburn Mm. and burns especially to the sensitive areas of their body like the tip of their ears and their paw pads are sensitive to hot surfaces so talking about exercise again Need to limit your exercise on especially these hot days and go for your walks or have your playtime early in the morning or later in the evening when it's cooler and try to keep the exertion level lower. Also, instead of using the sidewalks, go on the grass. It's going to be easier on their paws. And put your palm down on the concrete or the asphalt. If it's too hot for you to step on, then it's
1: too hot for your pets to step on.
0: Yep. And think about bringing that portable water bowl and a bottle of water for your pet too.
1: Yeah. Now I want to get back to the idea of swimming dogs, okay? So you and I, in our years together, we've been in Palm Springs, we've always had a pool like many, many people do, and we've had a series of dogs, and none of them has wanted anything to do with the pool. Now everyone knows that you have to teach a new dog, if you've got a pool, where the stairs are, so in case they get knocked in and you're not around, they know where to swim to, even if they don't like swimming where the stairs are so they can get out. So that's the one basic thing about, about pools. But we've tried just for fun to get all these dogs to enjoy swimming or to cool down. And we have failed and they've bitten us or cried or whatever. So finally we have a success story. And this is Skye. She is a pit mix. She's pretty small. She's like 45 pounds. She's very sweet. She's very athletic, and. Initially, she didn't want anything to do with the water either, right, Lori? And uh, we sh- did the usual thing. We showed it to her. I got scratched all over trying to show her where the stairs were. And uh, then she finds a neighborhood playmate. And so you're developing this relationship with a very nice couple. And they've got a couple of dogs, but one in particular is playing really nicely with Sky on the grass. And then in our neighbor's backyard, the dog goes in the pool and shows Sky how it's done. And Skye, a little cautious at first, but before you know it, is like diving in. And she's become a swimmer. Uh, I could never teach her, but she's learned from this other dog. It was so cute. That's right? the cutest thing. So now back home, she loves, you throw the ball in the water and she just do a belly flop into it. grab the Grab it and then swim on out to the edge and go up the stairs, drop the ball, do it again. Do that eight or nine times. You have a happy, tired, wet dog. It's really great. Peter, one last thing I want to talk about before we take our break. A lot
0: of people think it might be a good idea to shave their dog mm. during these hot summer months. And I urge people before you do that, talk to your veterinarian or your respected groomer. Maybe your veterinarian is better um, and get their opinion because there could be drawbacks to this yeah. solution of trying to keep your pet cool by shaving him or her, including a sudden lack of insulation and decreased sun protection. We spoke about yeah. sunburns and, and cancer, and, and causing cancer, right? So, so talk to your vet before you consider doing that. Hi, it's Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of Animals Today Radio, and I'd like to invite you to join me each week right here for the latest animal news from around the globe. From animals in the wild to animals on farms and in agriculture to our beloved dogs and cats, Animals Today tackles the important issues about their welfare and rights while promoting compassion and respect for all living creatures. And yes, Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, but there's big doses of fun and adventure for everyone. If you want to know what you can do to help tigers in the wild or whether your family should adopt a tortoise or why you should avoid buying puppies from pet stores, you will love Animals Today. So make sure to join us on this station each week. Visit us at animalstodayradio.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and join the discussion on Facebook. Thanks for listening. Hey, everybody. If you're thinking of acquiring a small animal to be your pet, like a hamster or a guinea pig, The KT Critter Trail Super Habitat is the first of its kind in the U.S. designed specifically for larger breeds of small animals, such as Syrian hamsters. Making a newly adopted small pet feel at home is easy, with 540 square inches of living space a large top access store for safe removal and appropriately sized accessories. KT is dedicated to providing quality products such as food, treats, beddings, toys, habitats, and accessories to ensure the health and happiness of small animal pets, pet birds, and wild birds. So remember, if you want to add a small pet to your family, always adopt. Never buy from a pet store or a breeder. Always adopt. And visit KT.com. That's K A Y T E dot com.
1: Welcome back. Kate Delusky is with us today. She is Senior Policy Advisor with Animal Welfare Institute. And uh, we wanted to talk about the jaguar that got loose in New Orleans at the Audubon Zoo there. Welcome, Kate. Thank you for having me. Kate, so what, what happened? Most people have seen this story on the news. Uh, break it down for us. Uh,
2: so what happened, this was a couple weeks ago, mid-July, uh, that... The zookeepers, before the zoo opened on a Saturday, um, spotted a jaguar out in the zoo, and they immediately put in place the emergency protocols, and uh, they were able to tranquilize and recapture the jaguar, whose name is Valerio. He's a three-year-old male, and get him back in his Enclosure. Um, But then unfortunately, they discovered that while he was out, he had managed to kill several other animals. Um, Ultimately, all told, after um, they all succumbed to injuries, it was eight animals um, several alpacas, uh, two foxes, and an emu. And so they then had to investigate how he escaped from his enclosure, and they believe that it happened because. A steel cable at the top of the enclosure uh, had had been broken and displaced, and Valeria was able to climb out that way, um, but they didn't manage to come to a 100% definitive conclusion that that was what had happened.
1: So you've been involved in animal welfare for quite a while. What went through your mind when you first heard this story?
2: I was deeply saddened, but I was not surprised. <laughs> Um, This is something that we see far too often um, in various forms with these wild animals in captivity. A jaguar is a large, strong, wild animal with uh, natural instincts to escape an enclosure, to hunt, to kill. Um, This is not an animal that belongs in an enclosure in a zoo um, does not belong, you know, in such close proximity to humans and does not belong in proximity to other animals who are caged and have no way of escaping from a predator. And so we have seen so many zoo escapes over the years and we know that there is no 100% guaranteed way to keep an animal like a jaguar enclosed uh, in a cage. that. Over and over and over again, uh, incidents happen that threaten people, that threaten other animals, that threaten the escaped animal, him or herself. And, you know, the Audubon Zoo has had other escapes as well. Um, several years ago, there was a 70, fa- 70 pound cub that got out of its enclosure. Um, a couple of primates have also escaped. And then there have been the high-profile incidents, like Harambe, the gorilla, uh, which you know was all over the news a few years ago. And so I wish I could say that I was shocked by this, but I wasn't. I was just deeply sad for the animals whose lives were lost.
1: The Audubon Zoo is in a residential neighborhood. I used to live uh, within walking distance. And uh, uh, if the uh, outside perimeter had not uh, contained this animal it could have been a big big disaster
2: absolutely and like i said there's there's no way to guarantee everyone's safety when you're keeping a jaguar in a residential area Mm -hmm.
1: did you watch the video of uh the audubon zoo's kyle burks he's the vice president and managing director of the zoo he uh, made a pretty lengthy statement about what happened did you see that i did yeah uh, you Want to comment on any of his statements or re- react to it and or to any of the comments made by the news media who were there?
2: Sure. Um, I thought that he approached the situation with the appropriate gravity, that this was, of course, an unacceptable and deeply troubling incident to have taken place. Um, I appreciated the zoo's assurance that Valerio, the jaguar, would not be euthanized, that this was. A jaguar acting like a jaguar um and uh nothing that he ought to lose his life over um but i also thought uh the focus of the statement and then the uh, answers to the reporter's questions were a little bit lopsided they focused very very much on the technical details of the safety of the zoo which is understandable of course um everyone wants to be reassured that the zoo is as safe as it can be. Um, that they're working to prevent this happening again. Um, there were questions about, you know, secondary enclosures and um, and how these animals are secured. But I would have liked to see a focus on more of a big picture approach to why this happened, which is that when you keep uh, an animal like a jaguar who's, for males, their natural range in the wild is between 19 and 35 square miles. Um, When you keep them in this very, very small enclosure and have people coming by and looking at them day after day, these solitary animals, they're understandably stressed and frustrated and overwhelmed. And I would like the zoo to address how they can improve the quality of life for these animals. I think stress is inevitable when you have animals in captivity, but if they are going to be in captivity, if this zoo is going to continue to keep big cats, for example, then I would really like them to take this moment to reevaluate how they are making the enclosures as large and as natural as they possibly can to alleviate even some of that mental distress that I think was evident in this escape.
1: Do you personally or the Animal Welfare Institute have a vision or a dream of uh, whether or how contemporary zoos like the Audubon Zoo should change or could change?
2: Yeah. um, What I would love to see as a model for zoos going forward is um, more of a merging between the sanctuary and the zoo model. So... I would love to see zoos no longer engaging in their breeding programs because they're breeding these animals not for conservation. None of these animals will ever be released into the wild, but they're breeding them so that they have animals to display to the public. Um, So I would love to see them stop that breeding, those breeding programs that they have and instead take in rescue animals and rehabilitate them, or if they can't be rehabbed, then give them the best life they possibly can and these would be animals that cannot go back into the wild that if they are not kept by the zoo then they won't have a chance at survival and then if the zoo wants as part of their model to invite the public in then that could be a piece of it Um, but i think there's such an enormous opportunity to benefit conservation by helping animals who have been injured or orphaned or displaced and um, giving them the best life in captivity that they possibly can.
1: Kate Delusky, senior policy advisor with Animal Welfare Institute. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. More with animals today after the break.
0: You're listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of the show. Well, I'm proud to say we are now in our 10th year of weekly broadcasts, bringing you timely and critical animal news from all corners of the earth. Join us each week as we explore animal welfare and animal rights issues, as well as fun pet topics with fascinating guests and experts. And if you don't catch the show live on your local radio station, you can listen two other ways by going to the Animals Today website, that's AnimalsTodayRadio.com, or as a podcast on iTunes. It's so easy to subscribe on iTunes, and when you do, each week, usually on Sunday, a fresh show will download right onto your device. I'm Dr. Lori Kirstar and thanks for listening.
1: I really have been looking forward to this segment of the show because it's about advocating for pit bulls and pit mixes and people in need as well. We have two incredible women with us, Nicole Yukum, Foundation Manager for Animal Farm Foundation. Hi, Nicole. Hi, thanks for having us today. And Jen Dean, founder of Pit Sisters. Hi. Hi, thank you. So we became aware of the work of both organizations after reading about a troubled guy who has spent his just about his entire adult life incarcerated. And what happened is really heartwarming, and we're going to get to that in a moment. But uh, let's start with Nicole, please. What is Animal Farm Foundation and what does it do?
3: So Animal Farm Foundation's mission is to secure the equal treatment opportunity for pit bull dogs by recognizing that all dogs and their people are individuals. And uh, we have many different programs, but one of the ways that we meet our mission is by supporting other organizations that have programs that are in line with our mission. Um, And that is how we met Jen and Pitt Sisters.
1: Okay, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Uh, But if you could tell us a little bit more, I know that you help train Shelters to operate at higher levels. You help individuals, and you're also involved in training and supplying service dogs and detection dogs. You really have a broad range of uh, wonderful efforts, don't you?
3: Um, But we also have many other programs that help us meet our mission, including our service dog program where we train dogs in shelters to do service dog work and those are matched with their handlers at no charge. We also have a detection dog program where we fund the training of dogs that were labeled pipples in shelters to do detection dog work in law enforcement. And we offer those to the officers that, and the departments at no charge. And we, ha- we do have a program similar to Jen's, the, the Pause of Purpose program, where we collaborate with the Department of Corrections in New York City, um, and send dogs down for an eight week program. It's very similar to Jen's program. Um, and she was also very helpful with that, with helping us getting that program started.
1: Got it. Okay. So we are going to get Jen back on in just a second. So what is the, uh, connection or the relationship between your group and Jen's group sisters?
3: So we originally um, became in contact with Jen through a different program that Pitt Sisters had, the mobile training program back in 2014, which is a program that they have that helps pets stay with their families um, through, I believe, the offer of free training. I'm sure Jen can explain that more. Um, But then Jen took over the, Pit Sisters took over the Tails program in 2015, and she reached out to us um, regarding that program and supporting that program, Um, and we were really confident that it was going to be a successful program, and we were really excited to be able to support that program as well.
1: Jen Dean, you're the founder and president of Pitt Sisters, uh, as we've heard, also a Pitt advocacy group that has a variety of programs. And uh, I know, for instance, you recently rescued 20 dogs from a dog fighting bus. That is, that is so wonderful. But the one we're going to uh, focus on, um, as uh, just mentioned, is the TAILS program. What is the TAILS program? It's an acronym, isn't it?
4: Yes, it is. It stands for Teaching Animals and Inmates Life Skills. And it's a program that pairs shelter dogs with inmates in correctional facilities throughout uh, Northeast Florida and South Georgia. The dogs live at the facility, and it's uh, an 8- to 12-week program. And the dogs learn basic obedience skills, and the inmates learn um, about how to train dogs, and they learn responsibility, empathy, teamwork things like that and then once the dogs are finished with the program they are adopted out.
1: That is so uh fabulous and it sounds like a fairly complex project with uh, a lot of moving parts and probably some raw Im- emotions. Where do the dogs come from and uh, how do you match them up with the inmates?
4: Sure. The dogs come from um, a variety of places, including uh, local animal shelters in our area, as well as, as you mentioned, dogs from, that we take dogs from animal cruelty and dog fighting situations, and uh, and the dogs are paired with the inmates. The, uh, the correctional staff really is key in... And pairing the inmates and the dogs together because they get to know the, the folks, the, the trainers and handlers very well. And uh, and I know the dogs. So we sit down and discuss the dogs personalities versus the the inmate trainers and handlers and make the decisions of who to pair with who.
1: So what do the dogs get out of this? That may be an obvious question to our listeners. And uh, what do the inmates get out of this program?
4: Sure. What the the dogs get, um, many things that they're lacking. Um, The top three reasons for a family turning a dog into a shelter are training-related. It's just chewing, barking, or potty training are the top three reasons a dog is taken into the shelter. So this program actually alleviates those issues. And um, they also get love from their inmate trainers and handlers. They get consistency. They get a schedule and they learn the skills that they need to be successful in a home. Um, From the inmate's perspective, they learn responsibility. They learn teamwork. They learn patience. They learn how to think outside the box and come up with solutions because, as um, as Nicole mentioned, every dog is different and is an individual and deserves to be treated as such. And so they come with their their own set of, of uh unique characteristics that the trainers and handlers have to have to figure out you know how to motivate the dog and then as well they learn um for some of these guys it's the first time that they've had unconditional love that dog does not care what their background was or what they did wrong to land themselves in this position they and they don't care what kind of money the person has or anything like that all they care about is they want to please their trainer and handler and they want their trainer and handler to love them so they get that unconditional love. And it really helps break down those emotional barriers that are put up by the guys because they haven't had that type of relationship with a living, breathing being before.
1: You said guys are, are most of them men.
4: Yes. All the ones in our program right now are men.
1: OK. OK. So let's hear that heartwarming story of uh, one of them named Jason and the dog Sugar Mama.
4: Uh, back in 2016, there was a dog fighting um, seizure in uh, Putnam County, which is a small town in Polaca, in Florida, and uh, and we took Sugar Mama along with several other f- dogs and uh, decided to try to give them another chance and and get them the skills they needed to be successful in a home. So. Sugar Mama was paired with uh, Jason Bertrand at a facility called the Jacksonville Bridges. That facility is um, is run by a private nonprofit, but it was funded by the Department of Corrections for the state of Florida. And uh, Jason Bertrand, when he was at that facility, he had been incarcerated for 17 years, um, just about half of his life. That's a long time. And when we first met him, he... He will tell you he had a chip on his shoulder. He, he was mad at the world and didn't think he belonged there in that facility. And he got paired with Sugar Mama, who had uh, herniated discs in her spine. She required a $5,000 surgery, uh, which we got her before she came to the facility. And he got to know Sugar Mama really well. She was a happy-go-lucky dog, and he thought to himself, you know, if she can be happy about something that happened to her that she had no control over. Why can't I be happy in the situation I'm in? I can turn my life around. So the two of them had a very, very strong bond. They worked together. Jason trained Sugar Mama, and Jason started to become a leader in his community. He went through Toastmasters, which is a public speaking type of club, encourages people to get up and speak in front of others. He did incredibly well there became the president of his community, and uh, and he was scheduled to leave in November of 2016. Uh, but Sugar Mama was going to graduate a few months prior, and he came to me in tears and asked if there was a way for him to keep his dog. Hmm. That um, He says that his dog made him feel human again. You know, being in the Department of Correction system for over 17 years, you tend to lose your individuality and and that sugar mama really brought that back for him and so he you know he was very upset he said you know miss jen i will live under a bridge if i have to to make sure that my dog is provided for i love her please let me keep her so the executive director of the facility and myself met about it and we both decided that it was the best thing to do for both jason and sugar mama so we allowed her to stay at the facility and when Jason was released from prison, Sugar Mama went with him.
1: Oh, that's a wonderful story. And they, I imagine, are living happily ever after.
4: They are. He In, this, in November of this year, he, he will have been out of prison for two years. He's doing incredibly well. And so is she. We keep in close contact. And, uh, and boy, does he love his dog and she loves him.
1: That's a wonderful story. Uh, Jen, uh, from Pitt Sisters, how can listeners learn more about uh, your programs?
4: Uh, you can go to pittsisters.org, um, or we're on Facebook, Pitt Sisters, or Tales, and it's all capital letters for Tales.
1: And Nicole, same same question about Animal Farm Foundation. How can people learn more?
3: You can go to our website at animalfarmfoundation.org, and we're also on Facebook and Instagram at Animal Farm Foundation
1: well. It's just been a pleasure meeting both of you and learning about the wonderful work that you do. And truly, both websites are wonderful with so much valuable information. I encourage listeners to check them out.
3: Thank you very much. Thank you.
1: More with animals today after the break. And it's Peter here.
0: And make sure you check us out at AnimalstodayRadio.com.
1: AnimalstodayRadio.com.
0: And visit us on Facebook.
1: And you can also subscribe on iTunes. Listen to us on iTunes. That's AnimalstodayRadio.com. Thanks for listening.
0: Welcome back to the show. Almost every community has an animal shelter or two nearby, and chances are you've visited a shelter to adopt one or more dogs or cats. But have you ever wondered about the early animal shelters? Like, what was the first animal shelter in the U.S., and what did it do? I want to welcome back to the program Kate Kelly, author, historian, and media personality. She runs a couple of websites, including America Comes Alive.
5: Hey, Kate. Thank you very much, Lori. I'm delighted
0: to be here. Kate, reading your piece about the first animal shelter in the United States, I think of a new heroine in the world of animal welfare, Carolyn Earl White. Yes. Who was Carolyn Earl White, and what was her interest in animal welfare?
5: You know, she was a very fortunate woman of the 19th century, because usually young women didn't exactly get to follow their... Knows with what interested them, but Carolyn was born to a well-to-do Quaker family in Philadelphia, and as as you may or may not know, Quakers were very politically active for the most part, and they were also just more open to the idea of of education for girls and that sort of thing. So so Carolyn was unusual for her time, but not for her her re- religion and and that sort of thing and. One of the things that we don't think about, but, but she would have been a little girl in about the 18, you know, early 1840s. She was born in 1833. And one of the things that bothered her enormously was walking down the street and seeing the wagons and the wagon owners beating or in, in some way really mistreating their horses or mules. These were beasts of burden the men needed them to do their work in order to make their deliveries through town and that sort of thing. And if they felt that the animal wasn't performing up to what they needed, they would beat them, they would do any kind of thing they could do, yelling, throwing things at them, and that sort of thing. And it really bothered Caroline to the point that she would be just horrified and would then try to avoid those streets because she remembered a particular scene with uh, you know, some sort of animal abuse happening. Yeah. So what was amazing was that she was able to live a life that could go on and, and figure out a solution to that sort of problem.
0: So what did she do?
5: Well, she had, by this time she had gone on, she had married, and the fellow she married was out of her religion. He was Catholic. He was an attorney, but he was also very open-minded, and he supported her in her serious belief in animal rights, and so... He became aware that uh, Henry Berg in New York City was forming the, the American Society to, for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. And so he suggested to his wife that she should go up and meet with Henry Berg. So she did. And so she came back to Philadelphia and began to set up the Pennsylvania Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Mm. She was soon joined by another fellow who was very interested in the cause, and his name was Colonel Richard Muckle. And they worked together to to work on this organization. When the uh, agreement, you know, the legal agreement had to be drawn up for the society, uh, Carolyn inv- invited her husband to do the legal work. And when they specified the board of directors, her husband was on the board of directors and so was Colonel Muckle, but she was not. Now, nothing is written about whether that upset her, but it was certainly a- an item of the day that, women could participate and be active, but they couldn't do something like be in a board position. So whether she was offended by that or not, we will never know. But today, we certainly would be.
0: That's so interesting. So she's not even allowed to serve on the board of the organization that she started, being that she's a woman. And yet it grew very fast, didn't it?
5: Yes, it did. That organization started growing, and she decided to fill another need, which was that in 1869, she started the women's. PSPCA. It later became known as the Women's Humane Society. And that was actually the organization that, that offered the animal refuge, which is what she called it. She was particularly interested in small animals, um, first dogs, stray dogs. And, you know, in that day, again, we have to think about what it was like at the time. There were there was no rabies um, vaccine, vaccine. So animals were very likely to have rabies. And so they were a, a danger to each other and also to humans if, if there were too many or if they bit someone. And they also just had pretty much free reign of, of any community. There was no leash law. They would have been guard dogs, so they would have been important to families, but there would not have been a lot of control of them. And also, there would have been no spaying. So there were lots and lots of puppies. So she started this women's refuge and set it up in Bensalem, Pennsylvania, and offered a place to to bring stray animals and and was very successful in her effort at at taking care of that matter. And people did bring animals, and they were able to run the dog-catcher version of their organization where they would would pick up stray animals, and and so she really did fill a need uh, in that way. They went on from that standpoint to fill another need, and that was that she got a phone call running this organization, and the doctor said, you know, we're doing a lot of medical testing here, and if you would donate some of your extra dogs to us, we would really appreciate it, and with that, (laughs) Caroline had another cause, which was forming the Anti-Vivisection Society, so she formed, the. this was a very active organization in London before it was in America, but she was the one that first formed that organization that really is, is one that still exists today to observe and prevent animals from being test subjects on on different things from makeup and and medicines and that sort of thing so so she started that as well and you just look at her life and you think wow she did so much and just by rolling from one experience to another and seeing a need she had all of these things that she was able to to formulate and things that are still
0: with us today so carolyn earl white founded the first animal shelter She championed other causes, like you mentioned medical testing on animals, and she also was involved in the fight against the abuse of alcohol. Is that
5: correct? Yes, she felt as though a lot of animal abuse uh, was because men were drinking too much. And so she started establishing water fountains, figuring if you could give free options for people to drink something else, maybe they wouldn't. Imbibe as much as they did. the The water fountains were multipurpose in the sense that there would also be a trough for, you know, animal, I mean, for horses or mules or dogs. So that was also a good thing. Whether or not she accomplished the drop in animal abuse by trying to prevent men from drinking as much is certainly nothing that has been proven or or written about. But it was an interesting theory, and of course. You know, lots of people went on to be active with the prohibition movement, so she certainly was not alone in her thinking. But this was also an era when, well, I guess we still have cockfights, and, and they had something called dog baiting, where an animal would be tied up so that other animals could attack them. And, and she just felt as though all those forms of entertainment were particularly enjoyed by men who have drunk too much.
0: Kate Kelly, I'm really glad you brought this to our attention. Carolyn Earl White is an amazing woman, and more people should know about her work as a pioneer in animal welfare. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I was delighted to be with you. Thank you. And thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals.